I guess we're live. Good to be here again. Thank you so much for that quartet. That was wonderful. I could listen to that all morning. <laughs> Very wonderful. Good to see faces that I've never seen before. Even though we're visiting, there's new faces. Because of the reflection off of a car out there, I can hardly see you. But anyway, one of the faces that is here today is not new, that's a visitor, and it's Lawrence. Lawrence, we know him, and we know his smile. His brother is dating one of our granddaughters, and we're watching his family real close. <laughs> I wonder, Ben, if you would help my wife and pass out a copy of my notes to everybody. If somebody else wants to join with him to do that, I'm sure it'll just take a minute. I'm sorry for those of you that are Espanol, but this is all in English. <laughs> You know, in our ministry, Prophecy Research Initiative, we do a lot of writing. And I don't know if, you're, if you've done a lot of writing before. The, there's two very, very difficult parts of writing, even spiritual articles that uh, you might have a lot of acquaintance with. Number one is the first paragraph and number two is, what am I going to entitle this article? The title sometimes is very hard. And my wife will tell you, we put out a magazine every month. And sometimes I change the title of one of the articles several times before I take a deep breath and say, well, I feel comfortable with that. Well, the sermon this morning actually went through several iterations of titles, too. And finally, I decided from the top of a donkey sounded the best. And so that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. Before the children of Israel were released from Egypt by Pharaoh, God instructed Moses regarding the first Passover celebration. There were many details that symbolized the coming Messiah as the Lamb of God. Later, greater details were added. One requirement related to the choosing of the lamb four days before it was sacrificed, and that's in Exodus 12. The family would love and pamper the little animal for days. Then the family would have to kill it. This would give them pain. It was an illustration of how God would feel by giving up his son to be killed for their sins. Fast forward 1,500 years approximately. It was late Sunday afternoon, five days before Passover. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, like a king. Christ's followers thought that this was the advent when the Messianic kingdom would be established. Thousands were likely in that throng. 
the prophecy of Zechariah 9.9 was being fulfilled. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, and shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, the king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on an ass, and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. The Messiah is coming, but before descending into Jerusalem, the donkey stopped. At first, there was no sermon, speech, or miracle. The Bible simply says at that point in time, Jesus wept. The time, the rejection. The sun was approaching the western horizon. That was when Jesus cried, darkness was about to cover that nation. Incidentally, did you all get handouts? I meant to ask that. Everybody has it. Okay. For those of you that are visitors, maybe I should say that my policy when I teach seminars or preach sermons, I read my notes, but you always have a copy. So there's reasons, the method in my madness for doing that. It was a beautiful sunset. It made the white marble of the temple light up with glorious light. That's when Jesus cried. His weeping was the deepest mourning as though someone had died. That's in the Greek term, terms that we have. Like the relatives and friends did when 63 people were blown up recently in Afghanistan in a wedding. And you may have seen the news that just a few days ago, another 69 people were blown up in Afghanistan in a mosque. Jesus was about ready to lose a people that he had said he was married to, Jeremiah 3.14. Mrs. White understood something special about the Passover. I've never heard a sermon on this. I've never listened to a seminar on this. But what she says, I'm sure many of you have read several times, but it's a very important concept, timing concept. When the fast westering sun should pass from sight in the heavens, Jerusalem's day of grace would be ended. While the procession was halting on the brow of Olivet, it was not yet too late for Jerusalem to repent. The angel of mercy was then folding her wings to step down from the golden throne to give place to justice and swift coming judgment. But Christ's great heart of love still pleaded for Jerusalem that had scorned his mercies and despised his warnings and was about to imbrue her hands in his blood. If Jerusalem would but repent, it was not yet too late. Now notice what she talks about from a timing standpoint. While the last rays of the setting sun were lingering on the temple tower and pinnacle, would not some good angel lead her to the Savior's love and avert her doom? Beautiful and unholy city that had stoned the prophets, that had rejected the Son of God, that was locking herself by her impenitence and fetters of bondage. Her day of mercy was almost spent. What happens when the sun sets? It's the next day for the Jewish people. Four days then before Passover, 
This was the fifth day on Sunday. Passover was always conducted on Abib or Nisan from the Babylonian Empire. 14. At the time of a full moon, the middle of the month, it was Sunday that he rode on the donkey towards Jerusalem, Abib 9. When the sun set on Abib 9, it was Abib 10. What was to happen on Abib 10? That was the day that the lamb was chosen, four days before Passover, according to Exodus 12. With keen insight, Mrs. White knew that when the sun set on the temple, those chosen people of the Jewish nation the children of Israel had rejected the Lamb. Did the Jewish people know a spiritual Messiah was coming? Did the Jewish people know he would be the spiritual savior? Maybe the word spiritual needs to be put in my notes there. In Luke's narrative, there are unique details that have been wonderfully analyzed by scholars. After the period of crying, Jesus addresses the city of Jerusalem, symbolic of God's people. Jesus personified the word Jerusalem. His first words, if you only knew. It means they could have known. There were prophecies regarding the Messiah, in fact, 130 of them. And by his teachings, they could have known. Now the opportunity has come and it has gone. What opportunity did they lose? Jesus went on. They could have known the things that would bring their peace, the saving grace of Christ's presence, the redemptive and restoration power, really, that grace represented. Because they did not connect the name of Jesus to their salvation, judgment, and loss was lying ahead. In this sermonette, Jesus has some additional words that are very sad. Now, the message of salvation, and it's the text that was read by Steve, I appreciate that, is hidden from your eyes. Luke 19:42. Their probation had closed. It is too late to know, too late to redeem the time. There was no longer hope for the Jewish nation at that time as God's people. Across California, there has been, and until just a few days ago, a large number of major fires in recent years. The state has several agencies that warn residents and business people to evacuate, to get out when danger is near. One fire in 2018 called the Ranch Fire was the biggest in the state's history. 360,000 acres were burned. Another fire at the same time down in San Diego was fast moving. A lady by the name of Nancy M. was warned by fire officials to evacuate and get out of her home. A neighbor also went to Nancy, get out, the fire is coming. She said, I'm okay. When the fire was very close, Nancy got into her pickup truck 
and started to escape. The smoke was too thick. She ran off the road and went down a small canyon. She was able to get out of her truck and climb up the hill to the main road. Her body was later found in the middle of that road. She had rejected the warning. She had denied too long that the danger was near. The smoke had hid the only way out for her to be saved. Ellen White said that Christ from the top of that donkey was also speaking to us today. The eye of Jesus looking down the ages was fixed upon our time when he said, if thou hast known, even thou at least in this thy day, today the things which belong to your peace, it is still thy day. Must the irrevocable sentence be passed, but now they are hid from thine eyes. And then she said, I tell you, there is need to be alarmed. It is time to seek God earnestly, saying with Jacob, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. What point in time will things be related to the end of time? And for us, it's too late to know more. Nancy closed her eyes to the warnings to evacuate. When she tried to open her eyes, it was too late. They were blinded by smoke. The escape had been hidden from her eyes. At the end, the smoke of error will compromise biblical understanding. It will block the view that the road leads upward. She was not saved, but its tragedy is that she could have been. From the back of that donkey, Jesus said, if you only knew this was your day, this was your time to know. This is your time to be saved. A thought for everyone here this morning. Will you be taken by surprise and not ready when the end time is heavily upon us? Nighttime will soon come. Will you soon enter darkness? Will the symbol of smoke of a thousand causes obstruct your way? Paul had urgent concern when he wrote to Corinthians, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Act upon it. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. That is the total orientation to us here this morning. Now is that day for us. Paul conveys another amazing thought. Around 50 AD, Paul penned the first letter to Thessalonians. And I find this chapter 5 is just crucial to really understand the depth, especially in the Greek. In chapter 5, he continued to address issues that those new believers were struggling with. Because Christ had not yet returned, the day of the Lord had not come, but they were perplexed. They thought it should have had the day come. There's a preparation period. Paul had previously said, you should know this very well. Then there was a time of trial, like a lady in labor. 
That may come as a surprise to many, but for you, you shouldn't feel that way. Why? But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should take you as a thief. In contrast to unbelievers and scoffers and who don't know the prophecy who remain in darkness, those in Christ have prophetic understanding. The day of the Lord, the coming of Christ, will not overtake them by surprise. It will not be as a thief. We often talk about it as a thief in the night, and that's how Jesus will come. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 said God's believers, it won't come as a thief. And, he really re and John repeats that in the book of Revelation. This is profound. There is enough information to know that Jesus is even at the doors. Ye are all children of light and children of the day. We are not of the night, Paul wrote, nor of darkness, 1 Thessalonians 5.5. 5. But there's a human problem. People tend to put off difficult decisions and tasks. You know the word, procrastination. I don't feel like it today. Feelings can delay our goals. Committing our lives to Jesus Christ, even our thoughts, takes effort. We are sinners. It is not natural, but he could come as a thief, but he really doesn't have to. Writer Robert Hanks notes in the London Review of Books in 2015 that putting off important things relates to a future failure to identify sufficiently with your future self. Think about that. Can you identify with your future self enough to imagine strongly being with Jesus? It's incredible, just that thought alone. You fail to see yourself in the future enough to prepare for it. Consecrate yourself today, Ellen White has said, to the Lord's service. Cast your care upon the Lord, and on no account allow the things of the world to separate you from him. Consecrate all you have and are to him. Do not delay, for there is pearl in the moment of delay. The Lord is coming soon. Let us repeat it over and over. There are many who are so overwhelmed with temporal cares that they can give but little heed to the solemn truths that are all important. We must work for eternity, for we know not how long we shall have the opportunity to preach the gospel freely. The last time we had contact with Jesus, he was still on the back of a donkey. He hasn't finished talking yet. He's not crying now. He talks about the consequences of being unaware of this day. He talks about desolation, the loss of earthly things and, and heavenly things. Then Jesus explains why. What he said reverberates down to the centuries, through the centuries to us today. We now press closer to him. We don't want to lose one word. And this is what we now hear. 
because you did not recognize the what? The time of your visitation from God, Luke 19.44. Devastation would come to that Jewish nation, those called of God, because they did not know the time of his coming, they did not know the prophecies, and they did not watch. Two verses back, we saw that they knew not their day of salvation. Here they were unaware that the Messiah had arrived. It was he on the top of that donkey. The hour of hope and pardon was fast passing. The cup of God's long-deferred wrath and justice was almost full. The cloud of apostasy and rebellion, now black with woe, was about to burst upon a guilty people. He, Jesus, who alone could save them, was right there on that donkey. They could see him, hear him, touch him, but they did not know him. In Noah's day, the inhabitants of the old world laughed at what they termed the superstitious fears of the preacher of righteousness he was denounced as a fanatic and an alarmist, yet they knew when the time knew not the when the time of the visitation, or yet they knew when the visitation time would be. But Jesus said, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. Men will reject the solemn message of warning today, as they did in Noah's time. But the text relates to Christ's first advent. They could have known the time. However, though no man knows the day nor the hour of his coming, we are instructed and requires, required to know when it is near. We are further taught that to disregard this warning and to refuse or neglect to know when his advent is near will be as fatal for us as it was for those who lived in the days of Noah, not to know when the flood was coming. In 1906, Mrs. White noted the exact day and hour of Christ's coming has not been revealed. Our message, incidentally, really today should be vastly different than it was 20 years ago 30 years ago, 50 years ago. Yet many times I hear messages given and teaching sessions performed and the message is no different than 50 years ago. It's exactly the same and it shouldn't be. There are dramatic things happening right now. The next seminar we put on here will discuss some of those things. It's coming out of Rome and also what's happening in May of next year regarding the final world order. Very profound. Her appeal is that we must know with certainty he's about to arrive, though not the day nor the hour. The careless and unbelieving close their eyes to the evidence which Christ has given to warn men of his coming. They seek to quiet all apprehension while at the same time the signs of the end are rapidly fulfilling. And the world is hastening to the period of the revelation of the Son of Man. 
in the clouds of heaven. But those who receive the light of truth as it shines upon their pathway are not what? They're not in darkness. We have enough information. We should be aware of what is transpiring. That this great event should come upon them unawares. Paul teaches that it would be sinful to be indifferent to the signs which should precede the second coming of Christ. Those who should be glorified of this neglect, he calls children of the night and darkness. He encourages the vigilant and the watchful with these words, but ye brethren are not in darkness that that day should take you as a thief. Ye are children of the light. Jumping down now to the second, the third and the fourth paragraph. These types were fulfilled not only as to the event, but as to the time. Let me back up just a moment. I better back up and hit that other paragraph. The slaying of the Passover lamb was a shadow of the death of Christ, says Paul. Christ our Passover is sacrificed. The sheaf of first fruits, which at the time of Passover was waved before the Lord, was typical of the resurrection of Christ. Paul says in speaking of the resurrection of the Lord and of his people, Christ the first fruits, afterwards, they that are Christ at his coming. Like the wave sheaf, which was first ripe grain, that was barley, gathered before the harvest. Christ is the first fruits, that immortal harvest of redeemed ones, that at the future resurrection should be gathered into the garner of God. Now, notice what she says. These types were fulfilled not only as to the event, but as to the Time. On the 14th day of the first Jewish month, the first day in, on the month on which the 15 long centuries the Passover lamb had been slain, Christ, having eaten the Passover with his disciples, instituted that feast, which was to commemorate his own death as the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That same night he was taken by wicked hands, to be crucified and slain. And here's the part I want to emphasize this morning. In like manner, the types which relate to the first advent, second advent, Ben is right. The types which relate to the second advent must be fulfilled at the time pointed out in the symbolic service. What are the second, what are the types related to the second advent? It's the fall feast. Related to the feast of trumpets, the day of atonement, and the feast of tabernacles. What is that saying? Very crucial. That is telling us, and we can show it and prove it from other areas in the Bible, Jesus will come what time of the year? In, in the fall of the year. That's right. So there are so many, many issues we can derive and understand from prophecy. And Ellen White, she doesn't elaborate heavily on this, but she was able to write that, obviously aware that those feast periods were important. If the Crounces were here, I would address them here this morning. They knew my sister, Marjorie, 
But I have a story about her. It's a sad story. My late sister Marjorie was finally married at the age of 57. It was an exciting time for our family. The wedding was one of the largest ever conducted at the Pioneer Memorial Church at Andrews University. Then, after 10 years, like a bitter wind, she developed a malignant tumor. It was finally shown to be of a particular type of lymphoma. In fact, it was a lymphoma that had nearly 100% chance of cure with certain medicines. She began treatment, the tumor began to uh, shrink, then she decided she would treat it herself. The tumor got larger and larger. She went back on the medicines, it again began to shrink. Then she told us, by phone, I'm going to go to Mexico to a cancer clinic. It cost $35,000. They had to remortgage their home during that treatment. The tumor eroded through her stomach. She had to get many, many transfusions. Then they began heroic treatment in a regular hospital in Indiana. It was too late. My sister was in denial that the tumor would kill her. She concluded that she could save herself. She rejected treatment that would cure. She lost her life. She denied that the time of her visitation was about to arrive. There is a transfusion that God wants each of us to have. The blood of God's Son heals, cleanses, and guarantees eternal life. It requires no hospitals, no needles, no medicines. It requires only kneeling down at the foot of the cross. It requires you to fall in love with Jesus Christ. My sister was too late in accepting saving care. In Noah's day, they had a 120-year chance to repent. They had the opportunity to enter the ark of safety they had the spirit-driven preaching of a Noah. They saw the miracles of the animals entering the ark. But when the flood came, it was too late. All the banging on the ark was of no help. They had to be on the inside. They denied that the time of their visitation would come. It's been 176 years plus that the Adventists have waited. The delay has brought a lot of numbness. The scoffers have arisen. Where is he that is to come? But there is another group. I hope that each one here this morning is in this other group. You know because you take prophecy seriously that Jesus really is about to visit planet Earth. We know it from many, many reasons of signs that are being fulfilled right now. Not subjective signs, objective signs that we know for sure. The signs are different than 50 years ago. They're different than even 20 years ago. From the donkey podium, Jesus has two messages. Welcome home, enter into the joy of our Lord, 
or if you had only known. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the many, many illustrations and teaching tools that you've given to us in your word. We're so grateful that you've given us clues so when Jesus comes, it doesn't have to be a surprise or as a thief in the night, but we can be so ready we're anticipating his return from many, many ways. We thank you, Lord, that there is warnings after warnings to prepare our hearts and be on the right side of, with Christ and be looking heavenward for our eternal hope, and we thank you for those. And I pray, Lord, for each one here this morning that our passion will be to be eternally with you and that our desires are so deep that we're willing to make the commitment and the sacrifice so that when you come, each one of us here this morning will be comfortable in seeing the face of Jesus. We won't be crying for something to hide us. Lord, bless us. Give us clear minds. Give us, I pray, curious hearts to want to know more and more of what's in your holy word. So soon we will be able to step off into eternity with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.